kind of interesting. When I chose that hymn, it was before Tom became a grandfather, but it's got that line, how great it is to hold a newborn baby, and he'll be doing that soon, a newborn grandbaby. Most of you that come here on a regular basis are very aware that I am a Peanuts fanatic. Now, I like the peanuts that you can eat, but I'm talking about the old Peanuts comic strip and the old cartoons. I can remember way back as a a teenager getting up in the morning before school and reading Peanuts in the paper. As an adult, I've got several comic books filled with nothing but Peanuts comic strips. If you've been to my office back there or if you've been to my house, there's many signs of my Peanuts obsession. I have Charlie Brown Christmas ornaments. During the Christmas season, I often wore a Peanuts face mask that was given to me. I also have Linus and Charlie stuffed dolls that were gifts, along with a Peanuts blanket that Mary and I enjoy on cold winter nights. And so, yes, you might say I am nuts about Peanuts. And the reason is is that that I identify with with so many of the Peanuts characters. The the creator of that strip, Charles Schultz, had a way of of connecting his characters to the, the feelings that many of us experience. Maybe you see a little bit of yourself in a Lucy or a Linus or a Sally or maybe even a Pigpen. A lot of us see ourselves in Charlie Brown, and that's who I identify with. Charlie is a good kid trying to make it through life. His baseball team was terrible. So was mine. Charlie's mailbox was always empty on Valentine's Day. And for many years, I didn't have any Valentines. Charlie owned a dog that was way too cool to belong to him. And the same has been true for every dog that I've owned. (laughs) Charlie also had a big-time crush on the little red-haired girl, but he never could work up the courage to talk to her. And I experienced a few of those crushes growing up myself. But there's one other thing I shared with Charlie that I want to talk about today, and that is doubts. Charlie had lots of doubts. Charlie doubted that people cared about him. He doubted that he was ever noticed. Charlie doubted that he had value. And and one of the comic strips illustrates that doubt. You might remember this one. Charlie's lying in bed at night, and his dog Snoopy's in bed with him, and Charlie thinks out loud. He says, sometimes I lie awake at night. And I asked, does anyone remember me? And then Charlie continues and says, then a voice comes to me out of the dark that says, sure, Frank, we remember you. (laughs) Maybe that's how we feel sometimes. Many of us have a little bit of those Charlie Brown doubts in us. We doubt ourselves. Maybe we doubt the sincerity of our own faith. Some people doubt God's love and protection. They may lie in bed at night wondering, does God really hear my prayers? Does he care? Can he do anything about it? We can even doubt heaven, thinking maybe this is really all there is. Last week was Easter. Jesus' resurrection is a doubt dismantler. Because Jesus lives, as we just sang, we too live. Because Jesus lives, we can trust in his promises. 
few minutes ago, we read from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 30. And in it, we encountered the most famous doubter of all time, Thomas. Like most people, when I think of Thomas, I think of a doubter. A, a doubting Thomas is the phrase that's often used. But you know, I also see in Thomas a bit of a, an Eeyore. For those of you who might remember, Eeyore was the downtrodden donkey in the Winnie the Pooh books. Eeyore said things like this. He said, it's not much of a tale, but I'm sort of attached to it. Or he said, I wish I could say yes, but I can't. Or this one, Winnie the Pooh asked him, lovely day, isn't it? Eeyore responded, if it is a good morning, which I doubt. Eeyore doubted. Eeyore was depressing. Thomas, Eeyore character, shows up in John chapter 11. In this chapter, John, uh, Thomas reacted to the news that Jesus was going to Judea where Lazarus had died. Going there would put Jesus in the crosshairs of the religious leaders who were out to get him. Thomas replied to the news by saying, let us all go that we may die with him. I can't imagine Thomas as a motivational speaker. In John 14, Jesus was telling the disciples that he was going to leave them, but that he was preparing a future home in heaven where they would all be together. And Thomas complained. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? If Jesus wanted him there, didn't Thomas think Jesus would get him there? Richard Phillips, a commentator, wrote this. He said, Thomas was loyal to Jesus and even courageous, but he was also fatalistic and dour. Thomas, uh, Phillips calls Thomas a determined disbeliever. A determined disbeliever. Through Thomas' depressing disbelief, though, we see some things that build doubt. And mishandled doubt can lead to disbelief. But more importantly, though, through Thomas' interaction with the risen Christ, we see also how to dismantle doubt. But to get it out of the way, we're going to start with the bad news, those things that build doubt. In John 20, 24, we read, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. In the, the preceding verses in this chapter, we're told that Jesus appeared to the disciples during the evening of that day, the first day of the week. After Jesus' resurrection appearance to Mary Magdalene, later that day, Jesus entered the room where the disciples were still hiding in fear. The disciples were glad to see him. Jesus showed them his hands. He showed them his side. He provided evidence that it was really him. But as verse 24 tells us, Thomas wasn't with the other ten disciples that evening. The Bible doesn't tell us where he was. But he was clearly isolated from his friends. In isolation, isolation is the first doubt builder that we see in Thomas. The other disciples were together. Being together likely strengthened their faith. Seeing Jesus confirmed the hope shared by Mary Magdalene that very morning. It had to be an incredible moment. All ten that were gathered saw Jesus. 
The witness of Mary Magdalene was confirmed. Jesus was alive. I imagine that after Jesus left, the disciples bragging to each other, saying, you know what, I really wasn't afraid. I really had no doubts. I knew that he would rise just as he said he would. You know, it's possible that their fear and doubt was replaced by some kind of pride and confidence. But Thomas missed it all. He missed Jesus' appearance and, and whatever the conversation was that took place afterwards. He missed the joy. Thomas missed the fellowship. Thomas was isolated. And isolation breeds doubt. A friend here at church recently told me how the pandemic created a sense of isolation. He said, I just felt disconnected from church. He said, my faith didn't waver, but there just something deep down wasn't right. And he continued by saying that recently having more people in church every week was making a huge dis difference. He said, things were beginning to feel right again. Just this past Wednesday, we talked during the lunch bunch about how good it was to be back together again, to see each other face to face. And, and it's hard. Actually, I think it's nearly impossible to be a Lone Ranger Christian. See, God gave us a church for several reasons, and one of those reasons, though, was that he knew that we needed to be together. When you don't worship with other Christians, when you don't gather together with people who share your faith, it's a lot easier for doubt to gain a foothold, for doubt to grow. In Acts 2, we read about the early church. Luke wrote in Acts 2.42, he said, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then a few verses later, he added, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. See, the early Christians, they knew the importance of fellowship. They knew the importance of, of gathering together, of worshiping together. Now, the fact is, the pandemic that we've experienced, it made isolation inevitable. There was really no way around it. The, the, the phone, texting, things like Zoom and email are great. But nothing replaces being together, face to face. As, as the pandemic numbers drop and more and more of us are getting vaccinated, it's, it's time for us to start gathering together again as Christians. Now, some of you still aren't comfortable that are watching online coming to church, and, and I understand that, and I'm not pushing you to come to church, but maybe you can have lunch with a, a Christian friend who's been vaccinated or go for a walk with another Christian. You, we need to end the isolation. Another doubt breaker is a, a hardened heart. I think Thomas had a hardened heart. Listen to the words in the second half of verse 25. Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That is disbelief. Thomas' heart was hardened. He had to have proof. He had to see it for himself. He refused to believe in the resurrection. His words, I will never believe, kind of suggest that, that Thomas didn't expect to see Jesus. 
He didn't buy this whole resurrection thing. Now, I want to be real clear here. There's a, there's a difference between healthy doubt and a hardened heart. The person with a hardened heart may ask questions. And it might seem like they're searching for answers, but that's not always the case. Their, their hardness of heart can show in how the questions are framed. See, the fact is they already know the answers in their mind. They're not trying to uncover the truth. They already know what they believe. Their mind is closed. You're not going to change it. And that's so sad because such people miss the greatest truth ever and the blessings that come with it. Now, we all can have doubts. We all sometimes have questions. But contrast that hardened heart person with someone who is seeking answers with an open heart and with an open mind. And when I think of questions, one of our well-known teens comes to mind, Elise. I don't think Elise has got doubts, but Elise always has a question. She'll come up to me and smile and say, Pastor Mark, I have a question. And her questions are good. They're well thought out. The, the thing is that sometimes they can be really tough and I can't answer them. But the point is, Elise is seeking to understand. She is learning and growing in faith. That's what we should all do when we ask questions. That's what we should do with our doubt. And Elise trusts me to give her the answers. And such trust brings us to the last doubt builder. And that is, don't trust the trustworthy. Thomas didn't trust his fellow disciples. He had spent the last three years with these guys. At the beginning of verse 25, it says, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas didn't buy it. When Mary Magdalene announced that, he had seen, that she had seen the Lord, it's possible maybe one or more of the disciples questioned her re reliability. Maybe she was mistaken. She was just one witness. But, but all ten of the disciples said to Thomas, we have seen Jesus. Jesus who was dead is alive. He was with us. We saw the nail prints, Thomas. We saw where the spear pierced his side. And Thomas basically said to them, you guys are lying to me. I don't believe you. If I had been one of those ten, I don't know that I would have taken Thomas' words lightly. I might have been tempted to say, you know what, the heck with you. We know what we saw. If you don't believe us, maybe you should just leave. Think about it. How would you feel if you and several close friends shared something wonderfully amazing with a, another friend, and he or she said, I don't believe you guys. Thomas doubted. Thomas held on to his disbelief. But fortunately for him, the disciples, and especially Jesus, didn't give up on him. Jesus dismantled Thomas' doubt. Jesus dismantled Thomas' disbelief. And in verses 26 to 29, we see how Jesus caused that to happen. And then the gospel writer John also added a doubt dismantling statement in verses 30 and 31. And the first doubt dismantler we see in this passage is repetition. 
When Jesus encountered Thomas, he repeated himself. Verse 26 says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, I have to clarify one thing here. Is eight days after the resurrection would have been the following Sunday. The Jewish pattern of numbering days, days is a little different than ours. They would count both Sundays. But, but the point here is that Jesus, he showed up again. And this time, Thomas was there. Jesus' appearance was identical to the way he had shown up just a week earlier. The doors were locked and Jesus appeared. Jesus' physical resurrection body had some way to travel through doors, through walls. And not only did Jesus show up in the same manner, he actually repeated the same words. During his first appearance to the disciples, Jesus said, peace be with you. A week later, Jesus said, peace be with you. And the peace that Jesus offered was peace with God, made possible by his sacrifice on the cross. You see, God knows how to wipe out your doubt. God knows how to wipe out my doubt. We need to hear the same consistent message of truth over and over again. That's why we come together to, ch- to church. We worship. We remember. We share the truth of the gospel week in and week out. You know, throughout my 16 years on staff here at Bethesda, I have repeated some stories. I have even repeated some entire sermons. And I definitely have repeated the same themes from the Bible over and over again. And at times, I've kind of doubted the effectiveness of my repetition. I've said to my wife, Mary, you know, I repeat the same stories. I repeat the same truths. Is it getting boring? Are are people wishing that I would maybe just come up with some new material? And my wife always reminds me that when it comes to the truths of the Bible, we need to hear them over and over again. Sometimes repetition is what it takes to dismantle doubt. Read the Bible. The Bible uses repetition to drive home the truth. See, the truth needs to be repeated. But my personal stories, well, maybe that's another thing. Sometimes I just forgot that I shared that story with you last month. And I would just say, be patient with me. And patience actually is another one of the doubt dismantlers. Think about it. Jesus was patient with Thomas. Instead of Instead of chastising Thomas' lack of belief, Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. If you want to share the truth of the gospel with unbelievers, you got to have patience. You got to have patience. And to illustrate how that patience can work, I'm going to actually repeat a story that I've shared in the past. Years ago, I was visiting a man that we'll call Ned. It wasn't his real name. And Ned was slowly dying of cancer. And Ned had been a churchgoer. And some would have called him a a pillar of the church. But sadly, as I visited with Ned, it didn't seem like he was a believer. Every time I spoke about Jesus or heaven, Ned would change the subject. And he wasn't very subtle about it. His message was clear to me. I don't want to talk about Jesus with you. But God gave me patience. And and I made it a point to 
frequently visit Ned, and I also made it a point to, to share my faith with him every single time I was with him. And you know what? Ned made it a point to change the topic every time I shared my faith. And this went on for a several months. But, but the last time I saw Ned, it was different. He was nearing death. He was, he was kind of only semi-conscious. And I knew that in his condition that he wasn't going to be able to change the subject. But I was also concerned, would he be able to hear my words? Still, though, I was determined. I shared the gospel. It was probably a very clumsy presentation, but it was from the heart. And I finished with a prayer that Ned would trust in Jesus as his, as his Lord and Savior. And that night, Ned died. I talked to his wife a day or two later. And she said, I don't know what you said to my husband, but I saw a distinct change in him after you left. He was the most peaceful and content I had seen him throughout his whole battle with cancer. Now, I don't know if Ned heard my words. I'm not 100% sure he accepted Jesus. But I think he did. I think he did. If you have a friend or a family member who is resistant to the truth of Jesus, don't give up on them. Keep sharing your faith. Keep living your faith out in front of them. And be patient. And present the evidence. Evidence is another doubt dismantler. You know, tell your doubting friend about Jesus. Encourage them to read the Bible. I think you'd be surprised at how many people reject the Christian faith and yet they have no understanding of what the Christian faith is all about. They may quote a Bible verse to you taken out of context, but many don't know the message of the Bible. Jesus presented the evidence to Thomas. He said, put your finger in my wounds. Put your hand into my side. Now, did Thomas actually put his finger and hand in the wounds? I'm not sure. The passage seems to suggest that, that he didn't. Seeing Jesus, the risen Christ, was enough evidence for him. And then John, in John 20, 30, and 31, he, he gives us the purpose of his gospel, and he said it was to present, basically, the evidence concerning Jesus. John wrote this. He said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, John, in his gospel, shared Jesus' signs, his miracles. He shared his teaching. He shared his life. And John pre presented evidence of the resurrection so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John wrote to convince us that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world, and that by believing, you and I might have life in him today and for eternity. But it takes more than truthful evidence to dismantle doubt. It takes God. You see, only God can turn a doubter into a believer. Only God can turn a doubter into a believer. You and I, we don't save people. We don't make them believe in Jesus. 
We simply share our story. We simply live out our life in front of them. We share the truth. But God is the one that changes hearts. And when God changes a heart, it is beautiful. After seeing Jesus, Thomas declared, My Lord and my God. Thomas was declaring Jesus as Lord, and being Lord means Jesus deserves our praise, our worship, and our obedience. It means salvation comes only through him. Thomas also declared that Jesus is God. He is one with the creator. He is the life giver. He is the life sustainer. Jesus' last words to Thomas in our passage were, Have you believed because you have seen me? And then Jesus continued, he said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And his words were a message to Thomas, but they're also a blessing to us. Thomas required physical evidence to believe. And maybe that somehow describes you or someone you know. You have so many doubts or they just won't believe. And if that's the case, remember, God can change, he can transform the most hardened, isolated, untrusting heart. The disciples saw the risen Christ in the flesh. And Jesus isn't physically here with us today. But his spirit is. And Jesus will reveal himself to us. He will use the Bible. He'll use other people. He'll use our times of prayer. He'll use even our daily circumstances to provide evidence that he is the Lord and Savior. And when you see someone's eyes opened up to the truth, Again, it is beautiful. Jesus said that you and me and millions of others who have trusted in him are blessed. We're blessed. And one day, we will meet Jesus face to face. And it will be awesome. And that's the greatest blessing. No doubts. We're going to pray, take a moment to pray here, and we're going to have a moment of silent prayer. And during that silent prayer, maybe you want to bring your doubts and lay them before God. Or maybe you want to bring the, the names of some doubters or disbelievers that you know and ask Jesus to change their heart. And after a moment or two of silence, we'll close by saying in unison what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And, and if you don't know the words to that prayer, that's okay. Just listen and, and pray them in your heart. So let's bring our petitions before God. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're able, as the band comes up, please stand as we sing our closing song.